If you'd remain standing, please, for the scripture which comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, or yeah, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now the Lord was going to take Elijah up to heaven in a windstorm, and Elijah and Elisha were leaving Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here because the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you live, I won't leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came out to Elisha. These prophets said to Elisha, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Elisha said, yes, I know. Don't talk about it. Elijah said, Elisha, stay here because the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you live, I won't leave you. So they went to Jericho. The group of prophets from Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? He said, Yes, I know. Don't talk about it. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here because the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you live, I won't leave you. So both of them went on together. Fifty members from the group of prophets also went along, but they stood at a distance. Both Elijah and Elisha stood beside the Jordan River. Elijah Elijah then took his coat, rolled it up, and hit the water. Then the water was divided in two. Both of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, What do you want me to do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Let me have twice your spirit. Elijah said, You have made a difficult request. If you can see me when I am taken from you, then it will be yours. If you don't see me, it won't happen. They were walking along, talking, when suddenly a fiery chariot and fiery horses appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went to heaven in a windstorm. Elisha was watching, and he cried out, O my father, my father, Israel's chariots and its riders. When he could no longer see him, Elisha took hold of his clothes and ripped them in two. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. It's good to be here with you all uh, today as we continue this summer sermon series where we're using the popular film Moana to provide some examples that can help us to think about our faith and how you and I can be in relationship with God and with each other. In the past couple of weeks, we've spent some time looking at examples from Moana to help us think think about faith and to think together about the Christian walk that we all share in. And so as a quick recap, um, the first week we looked at, at how the call of God often does not come to people who are prepared for it or even think they're equipped for it. In the movie, Moana questioned while she was the one to, to return the heart of Tefiti, she didn't feel com- equipped. And we compared her and we thought about her story and compared it to the book of Exodus chapter 3 where Moses was uh, keeping his father Jethro's flocks in the wilderness And he looked in the distance and saw a bush that was burning. And as he approached the bush, he saw it was not being consumed. And God met Moses there as God said, Moses, remove your sandals for the ground you're approaching is holy ground. And Moses was able to meet God there as God told him that he had heard the cry of the Israelites and that he was sending Moses to deliver them. Now, if you'll remember with me more than once, Moses tried to get out of that call. First, he said, I'm unequipped, I'm unable to do what you need me to do. The second time is, he said, I cannot speak. How is Pharaoh going to listen to me when I can't even put a sentence together? And both times, God said to him, just go, trust me, and I'll provide for you. And so last week, we looked a little bit about the power of story, and we saw that sometimes our stories take a life of our own that aren't necessarily true. 
In Moana's example, her story was that her father was telling a story to the people on the island that they had always stayed on the island and they never went beyond the reef to fish or to journey or to be a seafaring people. And what she learned was that the story that she had been told was not true and that her people had traditionally been a seafaring people. And so she set out to live into that story. And so we tied that last week into the story of Nehemiah. And the book of Nehemiah, which overlaps also with the book of Ezra. Where if you'll remember, the people of Israel have been allowed to return to the city of Jerusalem from Babylon. Where they've been sent when uh, Jerusalem fell in 587 and 586 BC to the Babylonians. And they took leading citizens and others and took them to Babylon and spread them out. So that they would no longer be in Jerusalem. And, and so... Um, uh, Nehemiah was given permission to return to the city to check the condition of the walls and other things. And one of the things that as Nehemiah began to rebuild the city of Jerusalem is he recognized that the people needed to know their story so that they could know and remember the work of God in their midst. And so part of what they did is he had Ezra, you know, they built a platform next to the walls where Ezra stood and the people gathered in this huge area and he read the, the book of instruction, the, the scrolls to the people, so that they would remember and know their story. And so last week, we were reminded that sometimes the stories we remember aren't always our own, and that the main story that we have to remember that unites us as followers of Jesus Christ is the story of Jesus and the salvation and grace that you and I receive from him. Through the sacrifice that he made on the cross and through the gift and way that he has chosen to live and work, uh, through our lives. And so today we're going to be taking some time to, to think about how we're never alone when it comes to our faith and when it comes to, to our relationship with God and even the way that God has chosen you and I to be in relationship with each other as a community of faith. In the story, Moana has two individuals that uh, are placed in her life that help her to stay focused and true to what she needs to be doing. The first is her grandmother, and last week we watched a clip of her grandmother and her. And in the movie, her, her grandmother encourages her and listens to her even as she experiences opposition from her father to uh, even consider going beyond the reef. And her grandmother keeps telling her to be true to herself and to do what she knows she needs to do. Or the second character is, is Maui that, you know, in the story is a demigod, but it still works and in, in, there's still a parallel here. Um, and Maui goes with Moana, and along the way, she learns from him the skills she needs to both complete the mission that she's been given, and then also lady, later to, to pass on this tradition and these skills uh, to the people of their island once she's replaced the heart of Tefiti. And so um, there's a quick clip that I'd like to share with you all this morning between Maui and Moana as they begin to, to share, I guess, and, and agree, and, and he realizes what she's doing is important, and so he starts to, to pass on the skills and gifts that she needs to be able to accomplish what they have to do. Ma, 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 ma,
I figured it out. You know, the ocean used to love when I pulled up islands. Because your ancestors would sail or seas and find them. All those new lands, new villages. It was the water that connected them all. And if I were the ocean, I think I'd be looking for a curly-haired non-princess to start that again. That is literally the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Probably should have saved it for Tiffy I did. You can see um, Moana is strengthened by, by having Maui with her. She begins to learn the... I mean, none of us know how to hold the hand of the stars and figure out how to orient it. But, uh, you know, in the clip, he's teaching her to sail. He's teaching her the knots. He's teaching her to do the things that she needs to do to be able to accomplish the mission until at the end we see that, um, you know, they're brought to the place where they're going, uh, to the island. And so Moana would not have been able to do it if she did not have people to accompany her on the journey. And so this morning's scripture is kind of similar to that. If you think about it, in the book of 2 Kings in the Old Testament, you know, 1 Kings is um, the story of the different kings of Israel and then the different prophets that God lifted up. 2 Kings uh, transitions from the end of 1 Kings, Elijah's ministry, and then to 2 Kings where Elijah has, has called Elisha to uh, be the one that he shows and passes the mantle on. And so in 2 Kings today, we're reading at the end of the ministry of Elijah. And so Elijah is, is traveling, and he knows that God has prepared him and is going to take him up into heaven. And so he is journeying to that place. And so he keeps telling Elisha, wait here, let me go on, and just... Um, just stay here. 
Now this is interesting if you think about it because in the, the book, um, Elijah has gone and he's called Elisha as Elisha is, is plowing with his father's oxen and, and he calls him and the scripture tells us, if I remember correctly, that um, Elisha, you know, they slaughter the oxen there and, and offer them as a sacrifice and then they go on and he chooses to follow Elijah. And so at each place, Elijah tells Elisha to stop, wait here, because God has sent me. And Elisha's response to Elijah is, in this translation, as the Lord lives and as you live, I won't leave you. I don't know, I think it's kind of interesting that, that Elijah makes this request. He's already summoned Elisha to follow him, and now he's saying to him, God's calling me, you need to stay here. I don't know if he's trying to save him from something or if he's trying to, um, I mean, I just don't know the reason. The scripture doesn't tell us, but it also tells us that three times Elijah makes this request of Elisha and three times Elisha answers Elijah in this way. Also traveling with the prophets, as you read, they go towards Gilgal and then Bethel and then Jericho. They leave Gilgal and then they go to Bethel and then they go to Jericho. And at each place, this group of prophets who live in this community comes out to Elisha and Elijah. And they say to Elisha, don't you know your, your master is leaving you? Now, one of the translations I was reading this week said that Elisha's response to them was hold your peace. Like basically be quiet. And so this happens as they go to Bethel. It happens as they go um, to, um, to Jericho. Well, that's kind of the route, you know, it's... Um, and then eventually Elijah gets to the River Jordan. He rolls up his, his cloak, his, his mantle. He strikes the water. The waters part. The ground is dry. Him and Elisha walk across, and then he's born into heaven. And Elisha is able to take this mantle and he's able to receive this double portion of the spirit of Elijah. And the waters part for Elisha in the same way they did for his master and he continues this ministry. But you know, three times Elisha was told to stay. I don't know if he's being told to stay and pray, being told to stay because Elijah doesn't want him to see what's happening. But three times Elisha decides he's going to go with him. As he tells this prophet, as he tells this guide, as he tells this friend, as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm coming with you. He wasn't going to leave him. After his call in 1 Kings 19, he'd travel with him in ministry. He'd surely seen, he'd surely witnessed, he'd surely had, had heard all of the things that Elijah had said and seen all the things that he'd done. And Elisha's not going to leave him. He's not going to abandon him when he knows that he's facing this uncertainty and this unknown. Why would he allow them to do that if he'd been with them through everything else? And he wasn't. And so he tells his friend that he is going to be there with him. And I think that's the tie-in for us as I read this scripture today and as I think about what we have to do as a community of faith and as individual Christians is to recognize and realize the need that we have to be, with, to be with each other and to weigh what we receive by surrounding ourselves with other believers. But also to say and to realize and to recognize the benefit that they receive from being around us. 
I mean, it's certainly, certainly my hope that I think for most of us, we can think of ourselves and, and think, well, I hope people receive a benefit from being around me. I hope that for myself. I hope that, you know, all of us can, can think about that for ourselves and say that, you know, I hope that, that the walk that I have with Jesus and the life that I live is, is a benefit to other people. And I also hope that it's something that all of us want to improve in as we surround ourselves in an even greater way with followers of Jesus Christ. You know, as I was working on this sermon this week and thinking about it, it got me to, to thinking about there's a meme on Facebook that's going around that, you know, talks about the importance of being a part of Christian community and, and of being in the church with each other and of studying with each other and working with each other and, um, you know, and just being a part of the body of Christ. And so I've also seen a response to that meme shared by, you know, Christian people that, that basically takes the first and says, you don't have to be around other Christians to worship God or to serve, which I get because my faith is not dependent on anything else that any of you do. Just like your faith is not dependent on what I do. My girls have to discover, you know, our girls have to discover what, what Jesus is doing in their life for themselves, just like we've had to discover that independent of our parents. And see, here's the danger. As I think there's a danger in us promoting and saying that we don't need each other in our spiritual walk in life. And the danger is what it does is it drives us or it allows us to, to stray toward our sinful tendencies to be individualistic and to create a faith that caters just to our, us and our preferences. Because when we allow ourselves... Or when we choose to strip ourselves from the body of Christ, the body of Jesus, it's way easier for us to get misled. It's way easier for us to get tempted, isn't it? Because it is. As when we don't have that grounding from the men and women that we share in this place, from the people that we have surrounded ourselves as fellow believers, then it makes it much easier for us to fall, for us to stray, and for us to make those, those for us to respond to whatever the temptations are that the evil one is putting before us. And so in doing so, we allow ourselves to become weakened, because it's way easier for us to get weakened when we are straying and we're, we're drifting away and when we're not anchoring ourselves in, in others and in the Bible and in our faith and in our connection with each other. And so Elijah and Elijah, I think, are, are a great example of this. Of how important it is for us to travel with others in the faith. Because Elisha chooses to go on with his mentor. Because he knew what was happening. And I think he knew that he needed support and encouragement. And he wasn't going to be able to, to make him to, to face those final days on his own. Even as Elijah told him to stay. And I think there's a New Testament parallel to this. You can read in the New Testament, and there are just few times if you read in the New Testament where the disciples or the apostles journey on their own. You know, Katie and I have um, been reading the Bible through the year on the Version app, and uh, this past week, we, well actually today, we finished the book of Acts and started Romans, but we've been reading the book of Acts. And one thing that struck me as I was reading it and thinking about the, the need for community is there are so few times where Peter or Paul or Barnabas or any of the other of the apostles go somewhere on their own. And the times that they do go on their own, they are quickly followed by someone else. 
Now, off the top of my head, I'm not going to remember where they go, but for example, Philip. Oh, yeah, I am. Oh, wait, Philip was in Antioch. Philip was carrying the gospel to the, the church. And if I remember correctly, in Antioch, Barnabas went then and found Saul and sent Saul, who we later call Paul, to Antioch to help Philip in ministry because they recognized that them being together, they were stronger for it. Same thing with when Paul would go in ministry. He might go ahead, but there was always the plan that John Mark or Barnabas or Titus or Timothy or any of the others that they traveled with and shared in ministry with were going to go with him. Or we're going to be a follower and catch up with him. See, they weren't going to join Paul so that he wouldn't get lonely. They were joining him because they knew, all of them knew, that for them to be effective in their witness and in their ministry and in their Christian walk and life, they needed to be there with each other. Friends, they knew how important it was for them. These are the men, some of these are the men that were in the room in Jerusalem when we read, that we read about in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came and descended upon them and they were able to, to speak in tongues and others were able to understand and hear and say, how are you uh, speaking to me in my language? You're a Galilean. These are people that have experienced God firsthand. You know, the shadow of, of Paul would cross over people who were injured or lame or weak or blind or whatever it was, and they were being healed. These are people who are experiencing the, the magnificence of God's Spirit in a way that you and I can only imagine. But even as they are experiencing God in such majestic and amazing ways, they recognized how important it was for them to be there for and with each other. To share in worship, to share in study, to share in meals, to hear the gospel message, to hear the testimonies. And to be a part of something greater that they could, that they could not be on their own. See, I think that's one of the biggest challenges for us in the church today is there are so many other things that we could be doing. But I'm going to be honest, there's only one thing that we should be doing. And that's looking to Elisha, who chose to journey with Elijah, even as he said, stay here. You know, to keep that connection open, to keep that relationship to open, to, to keep journeying with someone, even as he said, hold on. But also as we look to the New Testament, we see the example that they've offered us. That even as they have experienced God and Christ in ways that you and I can only imagine, they still needed each other. And they couldn't do it alone because God has created us to be in relationship, in connection, so that we can be strengthened, so that we can be nurtured, so that we can be encouraged, and so that we can even be held accountable, but also so that we can experience the gift of His grace in ways that you and I can only do when we're in fellowship and community together. So if I can invite you to um, join me now as we prepare our hearts and minds to receive the gift of Holy Communion. This is a means by which God offers himself to us. It's not something that you or I earn. It's not something that we deserve, but it's something that we receive because God loves each of us and he gave his son for us.